إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So you remember then from many months ago we started doing this book which was about dua, how to make dua, what types of dua to make, what their meanings are, the virtues of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how that improves the life of a believer and brings happiness to the heart of a believer the one who is connected to Allah. And that's why some of the scholars, Ibn al-Qayyim I believe, he mentioned that dua and dhikr for a believer is like water for a fish. A fish cannot live without water. A believer, you cannot live without remembrance of Allah, without dhikr, without dua. Your heart becomes dry and barren and empty if you have no remembrance of Allah. You never do any dua, you never do your morning supplications, your after the prayer supplications. If you don't do any of those things, you never do your daily duas, the dua for leaving your home, for entering your home. There are so many different types of supplications. Then a person, his heart starts to become empty. If you're not doing any dhikr, any dua, any recitation of the Qur'an. And today our topic is actually about the recitation of the Qur'an. And what our connection to the Qur'an should be. So when it comes to the Qur'an, there are narrations where the Prophet ﷺ has told us about the great virtue of the Qur'an. In one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْفَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا وَيَضَعُ آخَرِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises via the Qur'an, people. People are raised by the Qur'an. How? Meaning the people who are connected to the Qur'an, they recite the Qur'an, they understand the Qur'an, they practice what is in the Qur'an, then Allah raises those kinds of people. Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and there is an example from the Salaf regarding this hadith when Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was the Khalifa after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam died and after Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu died and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was the Khalifa he was in Medina And he had deputies in charge of the other areas. He had appointed 
deputies in other areas. So in Mecca, he had appointed Nafi'ah. Nafi'ah was his deputy in Mecca. And in other places, he had other ministers in charge of those areas. And he was the Khalifa overall, the Khilafah. So one day, Nafi'ah, who was the deputy in Mecca, came to visit Umar ibn al-Khattab in Medina. So when Nafi' came to Umar ibn al-Khattab in Medina, Umar ibn al-Khattab asked him, who did you leave in temporary charge whilst you've come here? Because Umar had put him in charge of Mecca as the deputy in Mecca. So he was now here visiting Umar. So Umar said to him, who did you leave in temporary charge whilst you're here visiting me? So Nafi' said, that he left somebody by the name of Ibn Abza in charge. He left him in charge temporarily, Ibn Abza. So Umar ibn al-Khattab asked him, who is this Ibn Abza? Nafi' told him, he used to be, this Ibn Abza who I left in charge, used to be one of our slaves in Mecca. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him, you left a former slave in charge? A former slave, he used to be one of your slaves in Mecca before? You left him in charge? Now he was obviously not a slave anymore, he was a free man, but still previously he was a slave? Umar said, you left a previous, a former, an ex-slave in charge? So then Nafi' said to him, he explained his reason why he had given that authority to this man Ibn Abza, even though he was a former slave. He said, Ibn Abza is a man who has great knowledge of the Qur'an. He's a man who knows the rulings of the Qur'an, knows about the laws of inheritance, knows about the fiqh, knows about the knowledge of the Qur'an. So then when Umar ibn al-Khattab heard this reason, he said to Nafi' in that case it looks like you are aware of what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said. لَقَدْ سَمِعْتَ قَوْلَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ You have certainly in that case heard the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Which statement? The one that we read here before. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرَفَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا وَيَضَعُ آخَرِينَ That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises people by this book and lowers others. This man used to be a slave of theirs in Mecca. But because of his knowledge and practice of the Qur'an, Allah raised him to the level that he was left in temporary charge of Mecca. And before that, years earlier, he used to be from the slaves of the people in Mecca. Raised in level because of his connection to the Qur'an. Because of his knowledge of the Qur'an. His understanding and practice of the Qur'an. So the Prophet ﷺ told us, Allah raises people by the Qur'an. If you learn it and practice it and 
implement what is in it, do the commandments and stay away from the prohibitions, then Allah raises those believers. And those who abandon the Qur'an, Allah lowers them. That's what the Prophet ﷺ told us. <coughs> so the Qur'an has a great virtue. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ said, and both of these hadith are authentic in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Qur'an hujjatun laka aw alayk. The Qur'an is either an evidence for you or against you. One of the two. Either the Qur'an is an evidence for you or it will be an evidence against you. It will be an evidence for you if you learn it and read it and practice it and do what it says. But it will be an evidence against you. If you abandon the teachings of the Qur'an, abandon and don't bother with the commandments of the Qur'an, and you don't stay away from the prohibitions in the Qur'an, then the Qur'an is an evidence against you. Either an evidence for you, if you practice it, what's in there, or an evidence against you. The Messenger told us that in Sahih Muslim. One of the salaf he mentioned, لَمْ يُجَالِسْ هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ أَحَدٌ إِلَّا قَامَ عَنْهُ بِزِيَادَةٍ أَوْ نُقْصَانٍ One of the salaf, and you know the salaf, they were the early generations, the students of the Prophet ﷺ. And then their students and their students, the first three generations. One of the salaf, he said, nobody sits with this Qur'an, meaning nobody reads and learns and understands and works on this Qur'an, except that when he finishes and arises, he will arise either with an increase or a decrease. That nobody sits down to read the Qur'an and to recite it and learn it, and that when they finish... And they get up to go, they will either finish and get up and go with an increase or a decrease. What does that mean? With an increase or a decrease? Meaning, whatever they've just been reading now in the Qur'an, when they sat down to read the Qur'an, whatever they learned and they read, if they are now going to practice that, then they will get up with an increase in iman. But if they've read the Qur'an now and they've seen what's in there, but then they are going to go and oppose it, then they have got up with a decrease in their strength and in their iman. Because they are not bothering to do what they are learning in the Qur'an. That's why, as we've mentioned before in previous classes, there are different, five different things Everybody has to remember about the Qur'an. There are five different parts that every believer has regarding the Qur'an. One, number one, is to have the correct aqidah regarding the Qur'an. 
The Qur'an is the speech of Allah. Everybody knows the Qur'an is not created. Allah didn't create the Qur'an. Allah actually spoke the Qur'an. All of those words in the Qur'an. Allah spoke them. Allah said them. And Jibreel heard all of those from Allah. Heard everything from Allah. And then came and told the Prophet ﷺ. And then he taught the companions. And eventually they wrote it all down. So where did it originally come from all this Qur'an? What Allah Himself said. Allah spoke the Qur'an and Jibreel heard it from Allah. And then Jibreel came and taught the Prophet. And then the Prophet told the companions. And then eventually it was written down. And it was made into the Mus'haf. The copy of the Qur'an you see everywhere now. So it's not something Allah created. Allah said the Qur'an. He said all of those things in the Qur'an. They were heard by Jibreel from Allah. So now, a person needs to have that correct aqidah regarding the Qur'an. That this is the speech of Allah. Secondly, obviously, to recite the Qur'an. That the believer recites the Qur'an. We do not abandon the Qur'an and put it away into the nice cover, wrap it up and leave it on the shelf. Only pick it up once and open it up in Ramadan only. That is not (coughs) the way... That a person behaves in regards to the Qur'an. The Qur'an is something to be recited regularly, consistently, every week, every day. Not just put it away and open it once a year in Ramadan. So the second thing here is recitation of the Qur'an should be regular. Thirdly, it's not just recitation. Thirdly, understanding what you are reciting. The believer, the Muslim is supposed to learn what he is reading, the meanings of it. Because otherwise you can be reading and reading and reading and you haven't got a clue what you are reading. So how are you going to benefit from the words of Allah? So the third point here is that you must understand it. Get the translations, Dr. Muhsin Khan Taqiyuddin al-Hilali, you can get that translation and read those meanings of the translation of what you are reading so that you're actually understanding generally what Allah is saying to you. So the third point there is to understand what it is, to understand the Qur'an, especially things like al-Fatiha. You recite Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, In every prayer, how can a believer, how can a Muslim not know what they mean? How can a Muslim not know what it means? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, Yomiddin, Yaka Abdu, Yaka Nasta'een. You read that in every raka'ah, in every prayer, how can you not know properly what it means? How can you be focused in your prayer if you're reading that and you don't even know what it means? The only way you can focus in your prayer is if you understand what you're saying, so you can think about what you're saying. But if you can't think about what you're saying because you have no idea what you're saying, then that's going to reduce the impact of your prayer. And remember, the prayer is one of the greatest things that aids a believer in his life, helps you to keep away from the sins and to do the good and to increase your iman. So it's very important that every person strives to learn the basics. Learn the meaning of Al-Fatiha. Learn the meaning of all the other du'as, everything that you read in the prayer. 
Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, Sami'Allahu Liman, all these things. Everything you read in the prayer, go and learn what it means. How can you be praying blindly, not understanding what any of it is, just saying it like a robot? Understand what you are doing and what you are reading and what your worship is. And that's what will help you increase your iman. A person may say, but I pray five times a day, my iman isn't increasing, I still feel weak. Say to him, do you understand what you read in your prayers five times a day? Maybe he doesn't. Then how do you expect to get a big increase in your iman? You don't even understand what you're reading in your prayer. So these things are very important. Every Muslim has to focus on them. The meanings of the Qur'an, what Allah is telling us, especially those basics like Al-Fatiha, like قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ اللَّهُ samad to know what the meanings of that are. Ayatul Kursi, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyu qayyum. These are some of the basics every Muslim should know. And there are going to be some chapters on those specific ones. We'll do that. We'll cover the meanings of those basic ayat so that every believer does understand those affairs. So that's the third thing, understanding the meanings. The fourth thing, memorization. That you should memorize as much as you can of the Qur'an. Memorize as much as you are able from the Qur'an. And the fifth thing, to act upon it. To act upon what you've read and what you've learned and what you've memorized, act upon it. The Qur'an tells you to do something, go and do it then. The Qur'an tells you to stay away from something, stay away from it then. Act upon the Qur'an. So five things, have the correct aqidah regarding the Qur'an, recite the Qur'an, understand what you're reciting, memorize as much as it, as much of it as you can from what you are reciting, and fifthly, act upon all of that. Not just recite it and memorize it and become hafiz, and you're not doing anything what it says in the Qur'an. You're still abandoning all of the commandments and you're still doing all of the prohibitions. And that is not what is expected of a believer to have memorized the Qur'an but not be practicing it. Then that will end up as the Qur'an being an evidence against you. So it's very important for a believer to give importance to the Qur'an, to memorize and to learn (coughs) the Qur'an. And that's why... Because the Qur'an is so important that the scholars have written many books. Many books have been written by the scholars about the Qur'an, about the etiquettes that you should have with the Qur'an, how to recite it, how to memorize various things regarding the Qur'an. Many books have been written about those things. Why? Because the scholars know how important this topic is. How important the topic of the Qur'an is. And that's why so many different books have been written about it. The best one is the book of Al-Ajurri, Akhlaq, Hamalatil Qur'an, The Etiquettes of the Carriers of the Qur'an by Al-Imam Al-Ajurri. So now that we have understood some of the basics regarding the importance of the Qur'an, then maybe we'll have a look at some of the narrations about the Qur'an. There is one narration 
from Umar ibn al-Khattab. Umar ibn al-Khattab, who was the, uh, the second Khalifa, when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam died, then there was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu anhu in charge, when he died, then there was Umar. So when Umar radiyallahu anhu, he said, لَقَدْ أَتَى عَلَيْنَا حِينٌ وَمَا نَرَى أَنَّ أَحَدًا يَتَعَلَّمُ الْقُرْآنَ يُرِيدُ بِهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَلَمَّا كَانَ هَا هُنَا بِآخِرَةِ خَشِيتُ أَنَّ رِجَالٍ يَتَعَلَّمُونَ يُرِيدُونَ بِهِ النَّاسِ وَمَا عِنْدَهُمْ فَأَرِيدُ اللَّهِ بِقِرَاءَتِكُمْ عَمَالِكُمْ The first piece of advice from the Salaf when reading the Qur'an is about ikhlas, sincerity. And that we know is one of the basics of a Muslim's worship. When you worship Allah, it must be with sincerity. You're not doing it for the sake of anybody else. You're not doing it so that you can get something out of it. You're doing your worship purely for the sake of Allah. And this shows the sincerity and the purity of an individual's heart. That you're doing all of this worship not to gain anything from this world, but to gain the pleasure of Allah, and insha'Allah, paradise in the afterlife. Because Allah created you for a purpose. That purpose is His worship. This world, it will come to an end, and your life, everybody knows it will come to an end. Every day, it goes by one by one. Look how long it's been since we were here, 18 months. Flown by, and we now sit here as though nothing even happened. 18 months with all the lockdowns and we haven't been here. First time now since last week after 18 months. A year and a half of your life is gone. And where is it gone? In the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye, it feels like just yesterday we were here before 18 months ago. 18 months since all the COVID and everything started. And it's all gone in the blink of an eye. The lockdowns and this and that. Since March 2020, we're now in October 2021. Time flies by and you know your life will come to an end. You know it could come to an end at any moment. And that's why it is not permit, it's not something that you should do in terms of delaying. You do not delay your actions of worship. Do not delay the recitation of the Quran. Do not delay practicing this religion and worshipping Allah on the religion that he wants you to worship him upon. Allah revealed the revelation to Musa and to Ibrahim, Moses and Abraham and Nuh and to Isa, Jesus. And then the final revelation to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's the final revelation now that everybody has to be upon. That's the conclusion, that's the final religion. Islam. Indeed, the religion with Allah is Islam. So now that you know death can come at any moment, there is no delay. Do not delay and think tomorrow or next week or the next month and perhaps you die before that time comes and you didn't do your worship and you didn't practice Islam. So then in the afterlife you are from the losers. So rather... Do not delay, but once the truth comes to you and you know it to be the truth, 
then accept that and begin implementing it and practicing it immediately because you do not know when your opportunity will come to an end and death will come upon you. So this first point here is about sincerity in all of your worship. And we all know about the narration about the people who used to do acts of worship but not sincerely for Allah. There was a man who fought for the sake of Allah as he claims and died in the path of Allah fighting for Allah. Then on the day of judgment it will be said to him, what did you do with your life with the blessings you were given? He will say, I fought for your sake until I was killed in your path. And that's what he did. From what was visible, he was fighting in the path of Allah and he was killed in the path of Allah. That's what everybody saw about him and what was known about him. But it will be said on the day of judgment to him, كَذَبْتْ You have lied. Even though he did. He had fought and he had been killed in this world. But it will be said to him, you have lied. You're lying. You did not fight for the sake of Allah. You were only out there doing jihad. So people would say, look how brave this man is. He always goes out in the battles. Look how courageous this man is. Your intention was that. You wanted praise from the people. That's what his intention was. So it will be said to him on the day of judgment, you never did your action for the sake of Allah. And he will be thrown into the hellfire. There's another man in the same hadith who learnt the Qur'an and learnt knowledge. The Qur'an. Learnt the Qur'an and knowledge and taught the people. And so on the day of judgment, he will say, that's what I did. I taught the people and the Qur'an for your sake. And he used to. But it will be said, no, you're lying. You only used to teach the people the Qur'an so that people would say, MashaAllah, what a beautiful voice that Qari has. That's what you wanted people to say. That's the only reason you used to teach people. That was his intention. That's why he used to teach people. That was the truth. So then on the day of judgment, he will be thrown into the hellfire. And there's another person who Allah gave a lot of money to. Allah gave him a lot of wealth, rich in this world. And he used to give that wealth in charity. He did. He used to give it in charity everywhere. So on the day of judgment, it will be said to him, all the money you were given, all those blessings, what did you do with them? He'll say, oh Allah, I gave them in charity for your sake. And he did used to give them in charity to the mosque and to this and to that, for the sake of Islam, or the activities that are for the sake of Islam. But on the day of judgment, it will be said to him, no, you have lied. Because he only used to give that charity, so people would say, look how generous this man is, always giving, he's always giving. You wanted praise of the people, that's what it was. That man was only giving charity because he wanted to show off. He wanted people to praise him. Look, mashallah, he gives all his money away to charity. That was the reason. So on the day of judgment, he is thrown into the hellfire too. So look at what happens when a person does actions of worship, but does them without any sincerity. He's not doing them for the sake of Allah. He's doing them for other people, for praise, for money, for this, for that. Then those actions are useless. 
So the first thing that's mentioned here, that the person, the believer, when it comes to the Qur'an, be sincere. That you're learning this Qur'an for the sake of Allah. You're learning how to recite properly for the sake of Allah. You're memorizing it for the sake of Allah. Not for the sake of the people, they can praise you and he's hafid and he can recite beautifully. You do not want those things. Those things corrupt your intention. So make your intention sincere in the recitation of the Qur'an. Secondly, from the etiquettes of the Qur'an, as we briefly touched upon in those points, that you make the Qur'an your guide, your rule book. That the Qur'an, what it commands you to do, then implement and practice that. And what it forbids you from, then stay away from that. فَحَامِلُ الْقُرْآنِ يَجْعَلُ الْقُرْآنَ دَلِيلَهُ إِلَى كُلِّ خَيْرِ Make the Qur'an your guidance to every goodness. If only the people read the Qur'an, and what Allah tells us in the Qur'an, how it would change the life of a person, that you practice what you see in the Qur'an, because everything Allah has told us only leads to goodness. A person finds misery in his life, depression in his life. If he was to ponder over the Qur'an, focus on what it says, carefully read through the different chapters, you would certainly find enlightenment in your heart. You would find that the grief is removed from your heart because now you start to understand who your Lord is. You start to understand who your creator is. You start to understand the great reward of paradise for the believers and the great punishment of hellfire for those who refuse to believe the revelation that has come from the heavens from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you make the Qur'an your guide to all goodness and you follow the Qur'an in what it gives you in terms of the knowledge that is within it. And as we mentioned, acting upon it is the key as well. And that's why some of the Salaf, like Al-Fudayl, Ibn Iyad, he mentioned, إِنَّمَا أُنزِلَ الْقُرْآنُ لِيُعْمَلَ بِهِ فَاتَّخَذَ النَّاسُ قِرَاءَتَهُ عَمَلًا that the Qur'an was revealed to be acted upon. The Qur'an was revealed to be acted upon, to implement what is in there. And the people have taken the recitation of it as action. So how do you act upon what is in the Qur'an? Meaning what Allah has told you is halal, then you accept that as halal. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told you is haram, then you stay away from that, accepting that it is haram. You implement the rulings that are in the Qur'an. 
And the recitation of the Qur'an is not just about blindly reading like a robot, not understanding what you're reading, or just wanting to finish quickly. You want to finish that chapter quickly like in Ramadan. Somebody wants to just recite really fast, not even the words properly, not even or mixing it up. Calm yourselves down slightly, read with care and focus. And when you recite the Qur'an, do not just recite it for the sake of just wanting to whiz through it. To whiz through it and finish it all. But rather you want to understand and ponder too. And you want to recite properly too. Not just recite in a bad way. And it doesn't matter if a person doesn't know how to recite yet. If you work hard and you keep striving... To recite the Qur'an even if you're struggling and you're stuttering. Then you'll get double the reward for the extra effort you're putting in to try to recite the Qur'an and to try and learn. And everybody should make that a focus too. If you're not good at reciting the Qur'an yet, there are six months left to Ramadan, seven months, eight months left before Ramadan comes. Make a target now. Start learning week by week so that when it comes to this next Ramadan, you are in a position where you can recite a lot better than you could before. Maybe many people, they can't recite yet properly, so then they waste that opportunity in Ramadan. They can't recite the Qur'an. They can only read the English translations. It doesn't matter what your age is and if you've never learned before, you can still learn now. I know people in their 60s and 70s, they started memorizing the Qur'an and they became hafiz. Not in their kids when they're 10, 12, 15, where most kids start learning memorizing. There are people in their 60s and 70s who started memorizing the Qur'an and they became hafiz. I know a person, perhaps, I'm guessing in his 60s, 60s, late 60s, started learning Alif Ba'ata for the first time. And he started learning and putting effort in Every week a bit more, a bit more, a bit more until he can then read. And he was in his 60s, 60s, maybe 70s. Old man. Started learning Alif Ba'ata, Muslim of course. But he had never learned, he came from a place where they never taught him when he was young, etc. So he started Alif Ba'ata. And he started working hard on a weekly basis until he learned. So a person needs to have the high levels of energy and the high ambitions that you can learn the Qur'an, you can study, you can learn how to recite properly, so that you can then teach your children too. If you do not know how to recite the Qur'an, what are you going to teach your kids? You're going to depend on just the mosque to teach them, you can't teach nothing yourself. You don't know how to recite the Qur'an, your kids are going to learn, but you still don't know how to recite. This is not good for a Muslim. A Muslim has time, you have time. You don't need to be out working 24 hours a day, you work some hours of the day, hours of the week, and then you have some hours at home. You have some hours for the Qur'an, for learning. Work out the balance in your lives so you can put time aside to improve these things. How many years of our lives are going by? We're in our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, our 60s, and still we're not good at reciting the Qur'an because we never bothered. Can't blame anybody else, but they never taught me when I was young and this and that. People in their 60s, like I've told you, I know, know who have started in their 60s and they are learning. No excuse. There is no excuse. Only yourself to blame if you don't do it, because you are not putting the effort in yourself. 
You can do it. You can learn. Even if you say there's no teacher, nothing, you can find programs and courses and you can learn a little bit. They show you these programs where this person shows you how to make the sounds and they move the mouth. And There are many ways to learn. Even just the basic amount. So a person should strive with these types of things. Then also, as we mentioned, it is important that a person ensures that the Qur'an is an evidence for you, not an evidence against you. So, when a person learns and recites the Qur'an, implement what is in it. Al-Hasan al-Basri said that, أَمَّا وَاللَّهِ مَا هُوَ بِحِفَظْ حُرُوفِهِ وَإِضَاعَةْ حُدُودِهِ that the Qur'an is not about memorizing its words and abandoning its rulings. It's not just about memorizing the words of the Qur'an, but then abandoning the rulings of the Qur'an. Rather, it's memorizing and practicing what's in it. So this Qur'an, it is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People, they spend all day reading the news, reading websites, online here, online there, all day watching YouTube videos, all day listening and reading to different uh, radios and this and that, all day you spend your time on that. And a person cannot spend time reading the speech of Allah. Is the speech of the journalists and the news, is that going to take up all your day and you do not read the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's a calamity. The news and the worldly affairs and what's going on, you keep up with it. Keep up with it, so you know what's going on. Listen to it a little bit, read about it a little bit. But that isn't your priority. The priority is the Qur'an. The priority is the Hadith, Bukhari, Muslim. Nowadays, or not just nowadays, anytime, any days. Many people, if you ask them about cars, and you ask them about phones, and you ask them about other worldly matters, they can talk and talk and talk. But you ask them, tell me about the Qur'an? Don't know, because they never read the Qur'an. They never open it, they never look at the translations. So how can it be that you know more about worldly matters than you know about the Qur'an? So everybody needs to think about this very carefully. That is the section regarding the virtue of the Qur'an generally. The next chapter will start the next time is regarding... Surah Al-Fatiha and other specific parts of the Qur'an and their specific virtues. Like Ayat Al-Kursi, Qul Hu Allahu Ahad, different parts of the Qur'an and their specific virtues. We'll do that from next week so you know about those things as well, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions or anything else to add today before we finish? Hmm. I've been learning a year <coughs> in English. Do you have an English book in mind? For this particular book, is it in English? There are books similar to this that are available in English. There are books similar to this available in English. Uh, Some of the brothers here are from Bradford. They have a bookshop there. They have many books in English there. There'll be some which are similar to this topic. They'll be able to show you something definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. There are many English books available. Similar to this one as well, translated about the Qur'an, about du'a, about supplication, about prayer. There's lots of books available. That's good, that's good. Hmm. Why is it that sometimes they mention 
Because sometimes it may not be known, perhaps. It may be uh, narrated in some of the books like Tahdeeb al-Kamal, Sir Alam al-Nubala. There may be certain narrations, and there may not particularly be uh, specifics or details about where it came from. And even if it did, and most of the time it will be, but that's less where they don't know where it's come from. Uh, but most of the time they will know where it's come from, but the mentioning of the name of one of the Salaf doesn't change the meaning of the narration at all in any way. If it's the famous ones, they always mention them, Qatada, Abu al-Hasan, uh, al-Hasan al-Basri, the famous ones, they always mention them. But the ones that aren't known as much, then they don't necessarily always mention their names. And sometimes, like I said, it may be because they don't know like Ibn al-Qayyim and Ibn Taymiyyah and the scholars of old, they often say, qala salaf, qala salaf. The reason being because they can remember that this statement came from one of the Salaf, but maybe they can't remember which one it came from. It's like now, if I remember a particular statement, I know one of the Salaf said this, but I can't remember who, which one it was. So I may narrate it in the class and say, one of the Salaf said X, Y, and Z. Because maybe I can't remember now at the top of my head, which one was it exactly. And that's the same for Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn Taymiyyah and the scholars. When they were writing their books, sometimes maybe they couldn't remember exactly which one said it, but they know that this is one of the statements of the Salaf, they've come across it. So when they're writing their books, sometimes instead of then spending the next week, in those days, no computer, no Google, nothing. You'd have to spend a week going through your books to find that statement. So maybe sometimes they didn't do that, they just say, قَالَ بَعْضُ salaf. One of the Salaf definitely said this, just can't remember who. قَالَ بَعْضُ salaf X, Y, and Z. Those are the common reasons. Hmm. Anybody else? Uh, I had one question. Uh, that, uh, as you said, that Quran uh, is the speech of Allah. But uh, some people say that uh, Quran. Uh, uh, I have heard many hadiths where uh, they say that <coughs> on the day of judgment, Quran will come to grant uh, people uh, shifa. Shifa, yeah. Hmm. So. Uh, I mean, uh, is it, does it, uh, I mean, is it a creation? Because no, no. Say. That doesn't mean it's a creation. That the Qur'an will come on the Day of Judgment, it will be as an intercession for some people. Yes, that's mentioned. But how things happen on the Day of Judgment, do we know? Because the Day of Judgment is from the Ilmul Ghayb. So how these things are going to happen, how the Qur'an is going to come and be an intercession, we don't know. You can't use this as example, the Qur'an is created. Definitely not. Because we know in the evidences, Jibreel السلام, heard the Qur'an from Allah. Allah say, said it, spoke it. And Jibreel heard it from Allah and then he came and told the Prophet. So if Allah spoke it, it's the speech of Allah, it cannot possibly be created. You can't say Allah created his own speech. That's the speech of Allah, it's the attribute of Allah. So definitely the correct aqidah, the Qur'an is not something created. It is not something created. It is the speech of Allah, the attribute of Allah. Anybody else? Okay. Welcome. Is it, ah. is it permissible to recite very quickly if you're memorizing? It's permissible. As long as you are uh, pronouncing the letters properly, you can recite quickly for the sake of revision or whatever it might be. There was one Hafid I used to know in Medina, Hafid, he used to revise his full Qur'an every six days. Three juz after Fajr every morning, two after Isha. So five juz a day, finish the whole Qur'an in six days. Hafid he was, just to keep it revised, 
three in the morning after Fajr every day, two after Isha every night. Five juz a day, revise the whole Quran. So obviously you have to recite quick when you're uh, revising and practicing, as long as you're saying all the words properly. And obviously those students, uh, you know, everybody understands Arabic. Even if you're reciting quickly, you understand everything you're saying. Alright, we'll conclude upon that for today then. Resume next week, same time, 8.30pm, inshallah ta'ala.